0: Welcome to the MUFG Global Markets Podcast. I'm John Cook, and I'm joined today by George Goncalves, MUFG's head of US Macro Strategy. It's Tuesday, February 13th, 2024. Welcome back to the podcast, George.
1: Great to be back as always.
0: Yeah, good to have you. Uh, So George, as you know, this episode is being recorded the day before Valentine's Day, which uh, has really turned out to be anything other than sweet. Uh, stocks are down—you know, hundred points or two percent. yen is getting creamed; it's approaching the Q4 lows, uh, close to you know 151. Uh, treasuries are sharply lower, and and really even before today, duration has been tough to love in light of the hawkish Fed speak and resilient economic data. What's your take?
1: Yeah, no, it's been a very difficult market to kind of trade and, and navigate. I think this is part and parcel though, for the lead up to where we got to. Um, I think, again, it's important to realize this has been a three month environment, you know, a little bit more than a three month environment where we saw the 10 year treasury, you know, basically hit 5% in, in October and that was the high border mark. And then from that point forward with less treasury supply, the Fed over the course of Q4, starting to pivot and you know, just kind of this animal spirits, and just basically risk off for three months in a row. You know, we're kind of do for this sort of um, adjustment, uh, and I think that you know, this the, the latest inflation data it, it could be one of the catalysts. But nonetheless, uh, you know we we have been kind of progressing up till this moment. Uh, remember, we we had nearly almost seven cuts priced in now. Uh, I think going on four, uh, the. You know, the lead-in to this moment really started, I think, two weeks ago after the Fed meeting, which ended up being <clears> hawkish. <throat> uh, then we had the stronger-than-expected NFP, which you know, we've kind of dissected and gone through. It wasn't as strong on the surface, and we can get to that in, in a second, but in, you know, by and large still you know, much stronger than people w- were anticipating. And we've had uh, a number of Fed speakers push back, but they're in, in no rush to start an easing cycle. Um, And then you had the, uh, you know, now infamous 60 minute um, Chair Powell uh, kind of focusing on that their job uh, is to continue to keep inflation in check and, you know, that they need more confidence in getting um, to a place where they can start an easing cycle. And, you know, all of that was hawkish, you know, know, it ultimately resulted in, uh, an hour view change from uh, expecting a March cut to now you know, May. Uh, and even that could potentially you know, be in question considering what's going on with um, the data. But you know, for now we're, we're keeping a, a, a May uh, as a starting point. But it really comes down to you know, can you know the Fed get confidence after seeing a hotter than expected CPI report? Um, of, although the Fed's not target CPI and we, we know that, that that PCE is their real mandate and that's what they, they look at. And there are there are differences between CPI and PCE that are noteworthy. But nonetheless, you know, today's CPI report was pretty broad based in, in, in the sense of higher inflation in a lot of the subcategories. There's some concerns that we have around what's really going on with the owner's equivalent rent. Uh, and if that was just a one-off uh, factor that led to the big bump up in core and then you know super core had uh, a number of things also driving to a was one of the l- largest monthly prints um, in, in over a year so yeah, I, mean, you know, I think these are all just you know rude reminders or just rude, that rude awakening rude reminders that uh, markets were you know pricing in perfection around the Goldilocks soft landing outcome and it's going to get bumpy I mean the inflation is not linear um, and and data sets are going to be going in different directions uh, as we try to figure out what is a more stable and sustainable growth environment. And I think this is just kind of really, you know, where, you know, we got to a point where uh, you know, markets were due for some sort of kind of just a, a reset and a reminder that it's just not, you know, straight and up and to the right.
0: Yeah, it's certainly really anything but. um you know, and, uh, you know, you went through you went through some of this, but a lot has really changed uh, in the last few weeks. And and as you say, perhaps we are overdue for some level setting as Goldilocks, after all, is just a fairy tale. Um, not to put words in your mouth, but I suspect you wouldn't go so far as to say that a soft landing is not possible. But it certainly does not sound like your base case expectation, uh, given the framework that you've laid out you know, here and elsewhere. Um, in some of your recent pieces as well as in meetings with clients uh you pointed out that the high frequency data is actually pretty mixed the employment report in my uh in my view is a is a is a you know great example of that you've got blockbuster payroll growth you know solid average hourly earnings against like shockingly weak work week if i recall sort of as bad as it was in the pandemic um and then the household survey you know showing uh an increase in, in, uh, you know, a decrease in employment and, and an increase in unemployment. Yeah. Great, great example. As I said, um, why don't you take our listeners through some of the macro divergences, uh, that, that are most notable to you and perhaps most important.
1: No, absolutely, John. And I think yeah you, you touched on one that we've been flagging for quite some time, the the household versus the establishment and survey differences. And, and that even there there's, you know, um, a pretty big gap between the total number of jobs created versus uh, you know one one index versus the other. I mean, it, depending on your starting point, it could be like close to two to three million job difference, which is obviously a big number. Uh, you know, and even just lately, why the uh, unemployment rate has not gone up has been largely because participation rate has gone down. Which again, that's not that's not a healthy. Those are the kind of divergences you don't want to see. You want to see a broadening out of the labor force. So yeah, the, jobs, the jobs data has a lot of cracks under the surface that are diverging within each each other's kind of like sandbox. But even if you kind of zoom out, um, we, you know, one, one thing that we posted recently, which is you know, out there for public consumption on LinkedIn, and you know, we put out a, you know, one of our favorite charts around cyclical versus non-cyclical you know, job trends. Uh, and, um, and the spread between the GDP and GDI and you know headline headline economic figures have been solid. in GDP you know, for the second half of last year uh, we had much higher than potential. Uh, you know, the recent uptick in, in job growth for the, you know, the two months you know, you know, look you know great on the surface, but we think are not really telling the true health of the U.S. economy and how sustainable is it without additional easing efforts. Um, so yeah, we went back and looked at you know, this uh, this two data sets: the cyclical jobs, which are everything uh, ex government, uh, healthcare, and education, and then compared it that uh, time series relative to that the other subgroup, which is the non-cyclical, which is the government and education and healthcare jobs. And if you kind of, if you take a, the year-on-year growth of those two, and then you spread them, you get uh, another. Uh, data set to, metric to 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 observe. And you know we're not at the point where it's you know uh, a, a major red flag, but it's turned amber. I mean we are um, yeah you know, we haven't seen the cyclical job growth turn negative yet, but the wedge between the cyclical and non-cyclical has gotten as bad as it usually gets you know, right before uh, recessions. Um, and that kind of also matched up nicely. Uh, or just you know ironically or, or just kind of in the same time frame uh, as the spread between GDP and GDI, which historically should track each other. I mean, uh, you know, growth um, <clears throat> you know is either sourced from income um, and or uh, you know, extra you know, debt spending. And so uh, GDI being I mean, gross domestic income should not deviate that far off from gross domestic product and consumption. And so that means that consumption, if GDP was that strong, consumption was being um, kind of subsidized by credit, both from the consumer side, taking on additional credit and government spending. And so, I mean, of course, these things can last longer in the short term, but the question is how sustainable is it over the you know, medium term to long term over the course of the balance of this year into next year, especially with an election year. So when you look at these things, you kind of, kind of start to kind of um, put them in parallel it's another one of those examples where we, we are seeing macro divergences, um, and the headlines headlines look better than what really is happening on the ground. And I think that also probably is what's feeding into kind of consumer confidence and the sort of breakdowns that we're seeing there now. given you know we've had a you know stocks you know up until recently having an amazing an amazing run, uh, you know pretty much full employment economy, uh, and you know, consumers you know are still you know not. Uh, you know, as as happy as they've been in the past, right? So, I do think that all these things are just kind of picking up on the underlying signals that you know the economy hasn't uh, really gotten back in, you know, in sync with the way it should be growing, and um, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. For for, for us, um, bringing this back to the markets, uh, this is why you know every so often, whenever we do get these re- reminders that things are not all hunky-dory and there's something going on underneath the surface. Markets, once they get these reminders, they you know have these episodic vol moments and uh, you know cause a lot of disruption like, you know, like, we, like we're seeing uh, today you know, after the CPI break. So I think these are just, again, just things to kind of be mindful of that this is gonna be a year where it's not gonna be linear. <laughs> the idea of just straight to a Goldilocks soft landing and no bumps along the way is not our view. Our view that uh, you know, we could get there if the Fed actually eases and does it in the right way and tries to also address what's going on with the banking system and lending and the overall CREs, which is a whole other topic. But yeah, I think this is still a challenging year and uh, and the data is, is really showing it.
0: Yeah, it sure is. Um, you know, uh, if if today's if today's print is uh, is is anything uh, is any bit of foreshadowing, uh, we'll be we'll be in for a wild ride. Um, you know, so George, you mentioned a couple things. I would like to just highlight for our listeners that chart uh, you're citing is uh, Figure Four in the January uh, U.S. Macro, macro to markets outlook. Um, I would also like to point our listeners towards George's recently published February 2024 Fed call update pushing our first cut to May from March, 2024. And if you are still not receiving George's strategy reports, there is another way to get them. Uh, Check out the new MUFG research portal at www.mufgresearch.com, where you can sign up to receive all of your favorite MUFG research. Great stuff as always. Thanks for coming on the podcast, George.
1: Thanks for having me, John.
0: Thank you for listening to the MUFG Global Markets Podcast rate, review, and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And reach out to your MUFG sales rep for any further information. Check back soon for more insights from the Global Markets Research Team.